You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. James says in chapter 1, verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting this man, James. Um, There are three main theories about who James is, two wrong ones and one right one. Uh, There is a theory that uh, James was called in Galatians 1, I believe 14, Paul tells us he saw James, the brother of our Lord. Uh, We are told in Matthew 13 and Mark 6 um, that the Lord had brothers, James, Josie, Simon, Jude, and sisters, plural. So there were at least six others in the house. So those in the early church who decided that they wanted to maintain the perpetual virginity of Mary, that Mary never had sexual relationships, she only had one child, what they had to say, they had two theories. One was that uh, James, Josie, Simon, and, and Judas, and the sisters were children of Cleopas and Mary, and that Mary, the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and so they were really cousins, that when it says his brethren or his sisters talking about his cousins. Of course, the problem with that is in the New Testament, when it talks about your cousin, it says cuz. And there's lots of reasons why that's very doubtful. Then there are those who try to say, well, Joseph, and it was by a bishop in the third century in Salamis, he said that, uh, that Joseph was previously married and that James, Josie, Simon, Jude, and the sisters, the girls, were from a previous marriage before he married Mary. And there's basically no historical corroboration for that. And when Paul writes about the brothers of our Lord taking their wives with them. They'd have been in their 80s by then. They wouldn't have been traveling or taking their wives with them anywhere. Um, The one that corroborates is the one that you would, the conclusion you'd come to if you just kind of read the English, that Jesus was the firstborn. When it tells us about his birth in Matthew chapter 1, it says um, that he knew not Mary until after, until the, the, the prototokos, until Jesus was born, and that after that he had normal relationships with Mary, and the other children were then born. Tertullian tells us in the second century that they were the uterine siblings of Jesus Christ, he affirms. They were the children of Joseph and Mary after Jesus was born, but James doesn't claim any fame to that here. He calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no evidence um, that he has a card, the younger brother of Jesus, you know, 
that his license plate says Lord's Bro. You know, there's a, James doesn't do any of that. Jude kind of garners a bit when Jude opens his letter. He identifies himself as Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. So at least lets people know that he's part of the family. Uh, but James, raised in the house with this older brother, Yeshua, James Jacob in the in the, the Aramaic, he was Jacob, raised in the house in the carpenter shop with these other siblings in a crowded family, has some remarkable things then to say to us. In fact, in these five chapters, uh, we'll talk about that next week. Uh, anyhow, in, in the five chapters, he uses the word brethren 19 times. He's very aware of uh, his older brother. And he didn't come to faith until after the resurrection. James evidently was an influence in the lives of the rest of the family because in Acts chapter 1, when the apostles are gathered together in the upper room, it says, Mary, the mother of our Lord, is there and his brethren. So by then, by the time those 40 days are over, they have all come to genuine faith. Our snapshots of Joseph, though, the father of this brood come to us basically from Matthew chapter 1. Now look, the funny thing is, you know, uh, Mary, well, there, there are things in Scripture about Mary. Mary is venerated. Mary, she's blessed among women. We should acknowledge what the angel says to her. Uh, and Joseph, we've got very little imprinted, but we don't think much about him. We've got chapters on Joseph in Egypt, you know, in the book of Genesis. And then we've got, you know, little snapshots of this Joseph. But you just think, which one of them would you have wanted to be? And, you know, one of them, you know, saves the children of Israel, the whole thing in Egypt. But the other one is this God chooses him in his sovereignty, the same sovereignty that chose Mary, chooses Joseph, this man who is just, we're told, to be the stepfather of the son of the Most High God to provide a roof over his head, to provide food on the table, to provide clothing, to provide training, to teach him, to care for him, to have years under his tutelage and under his hand, Jehovah in human skin. Now, which one of those Josephs would you want it to have been? You know, uh, so so we get these snapshots of his father's day. Well, look at this father here, because most dads don't get any kudos. They don't get much written. You know, there's not usually chapters about fathers and what the fathers did. But, you know, but there's information here. There are things that are brought before us that are remarkable as we look at this man, Joseph. It tells us in Matthew 1:18. now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, happened this way. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, before they had sexual relationships, which implies that they did afterwards, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, notice it says, her husband, the Holy Spirit tells us, notice, being a just man and not willing to make a public example of her was minded 
to put her away privately. So we're introduced to this man. It says he's a just man. God's not going to choose some crabby, grumpy, miserly, mean-spirited, merciless man to be the foster father for his son. He tells us this man, Joseph, is a just man. You study that out. It's certainly one who keeps the law, but it's one who's righteous, one who's conscientious, one who's compassionate. You study out the implications of this word just. And no doubt that kind of behavior in the home is influential because his son, who we're going to study, James, is known as James the Just. It's the same word. This man, Joseph, it tells us he was just. And God the Father sends his son into this espoused relationship. Now, espousal, there's already a contract. They've already made vows. It was considered marriage. To get out of an espousal, you needed a divorce. They were considered married. They just had not consummated the marriage. I think it's Deuteronomy 22 It says, if you caught a woman who was espoused having sex with another man, they were both stoned and put to death because it was considered marriage. So here the espousal has taken place. The vows have already been made. Understand, God could have just sent his son into the womb of Mary before she was engaged. He could have just been born of a single mom. Because the Talmud writes of of Jesus that he was the illegitimate son of Mary. She bore that reproach her whole life anyway. God could have just sent his son into the world with a single mom. But he chose this man Joseph, as much as he chose Mary, to be involved in the process of raising this boy Because this man was just. He was careful. He was conscientious. He was compassionate. And he sets his eye on this gal in Nazareth, Mary, Miriam. This gal he sees catches his royal eye and captured his heart. She's sweet, of course. She's beautiful. God's sovereignty has dangled Mary in front of Joseph there in Nazareth, and he's fallen in love. The betrothal has taken place. Arrangements were made, vows were made, the papers were signed, and now they're just waiting for the time when they consummate the marriage, which is usually about a year. Now here's the interesting thing. Realize this too. Joseph's working in a carpenter shop. And all he thinks about is, I can't wait to sweep up and see Mary. I can't wait to get out of here and see Mare. You know, he doesn't have any pictures of her hanging in a carpenter shop. He's not FaceTiming her during the day. You know, there's none of those distractions. He doesn't have her carved in, in stone somewhere in the shop. You know, he, he, he's not a Sixers fan. I hope they win the, the, the championship. He's not thinking about the Eagles season. He doesn't have all these other distractions. He doesn't watch TV. He's not on social media. All of that is in one gal, Mare. And every day, can't wait to get through work to see Mare. I want to 
to see Mayor. I want to talk to Mayor. I want to sit with Mayor. He eats, breathes, and sleeps Mayor. And probably can't blame him. God wove their hearts together, this remarkable scene, until one day, Mayor comes to him and says, I need to talk to you alone. And for Joseph, oh, great, let's go sit somewhere by ourselves. And she says, I'm going to have a baby. And I'm sure he is devastated. Devastated. Can't believe what he's hearing. Thought she was pure. Thought she was upright. And she's trying to tell him, I didn't commit adultery. I didn't cheat on you. I don't want anybody else but you. I didn't sleep with anybody. All right. You're having a baby, and you didn't sleep with anybody. You know, on top of his broken heart, he's hearing this. Now, you and I are familiar with all this, so it almost seems commonplace to us. Put yourself in the shoes of this human being who's hearing this, who never heard the story before. Luke tells us this. It says... Um, And in the sixth month, this is the pregnancy of Elizabeth, the angel Gabriel was sent from God under the city of Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great. Notice, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary to the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man. I've never had relations. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, She hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her that was called barren. So you can imagine Mary trying to relate this to Joseph. This story, this is what happened. An angel came. Yeah, I'm pregnant. I didn't cheat on you. I would never cheat on you. You know me, Joe. I'm not like that. I would never do that. And 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 the, the Holy Ghost did this, and and the child is the son. It's God's son, and he's going to sit on the throne of his father David, and of his kingdom there's going to be no end. And he's the, the the son of the highest. 
And he's thinking, I can't believe she's telling me this. I can't believe she expects me to believe this. And she says, probably, look, Joe, I'm not going to defend myself. You know me. You, you, you know, if you don't know me by now, those are things that wives say. If you don't know me by now, you know, if I have to tell you the answer to that, you know, you know. And um, she says, I'm going to my cousin Elizabeth, which is in Judea, probably in Hebron. Uh, she's six months pregnant. A miracle's happened in her life, too. And he's thinking, yeah, a miracle. Zachariah was at least involved in that miracle. You know, you know. And, uh, and she, says, she says, I'm going there, and leaves Joseph then to himself. I'm sure this guy is tortured. Doesn't know the story. This just man, quietly, privately, feels every day like he's dying. And he decides to quietly and privately put her away, to divorce her, to not make a public example of her. He is a just and a good man. Verse 20 in Matthew 1 says, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, please notice this, thou son of David... Fear not, which is it kind of implies he was still thinking about it. Fear not to take unto thee Mary. Notice the Holy Spirit, the, the, the angel says, thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son. And notice the angel says, you shall call his name. You're the one who's going to name him. Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. And Matthew tells us, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken uh, by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not, he didn't have sexual relationships, until she had brought forth her firstborn, her prototokos, and in the, the grammar, the, strictly speaking, of the oldest child. He knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So while Joseph has made up his mind, he's going to do this, I have to divorce her. The word of God through Moses was held weighed in his life. He knew this wasn't right. He struggled. He's an upright man. He's a just man. He decides, I'm going to have to do this. Now listen, the angel of the Lord comes to him. You want to take note of that because... The angel Gabriel came to Mary once. The angel spoke to Mary once. The angel speaks to Joseph four times and only speaks to Mary once. The baby's born. They're settled in Bethlehem. The wise men come. They go home a different way. Herod, the greatest, furious. He's going to kill the children in Bethlehem. And the angel of the Lord comes to Joseph and says, Take the mother and the child and go down to Egypt. To Joseph. 
Joseph has to tell Mary, hey, angel of the Lord told me, pack up the kid, go to Egypt. Mary must say, Egypt? You're a carpenter. And by the word, the, the word means carpenter. Don't let anybody tell you, it means stonemason. Carpenter, what are you going to do in Egypt? And he probably said, oh, you're allowed to hear angels. I'm not allowed to hear angels. I'm telling you it was the angels. You know, just so they go down to Egypt. And, and they're there for at least two years. One of the old pilgrim writers I read said all of the gods in Egypt were shuddering because God in human flesh was coming down into Egypt. And, uh, you know, there probably about two years go by there. And then Joseph again, an angel speaks to him in a dream and says, take the child and go back to Israel. Wonderful. The language in Matthew says they take a leisurely journey. What is it like taking a leisurely journey with a two-year-old Jesus? Because I tend to think he's not in his terrible twos. He's in his wonderful twos, you know. And was he talking? You have two-year-olds. You know how, they're, how active they can be. Just imagine that journey. They come back up to Bethlehem where Joseph was going to settle. The house and lineage was there. Uh, and again, it says he's warned of God in a dream to not stay in Judea because Archelaus, the son of Herod the Great, was in power. So he goes up to Nazareth where they settle then in Nazareth, and they're there. We don't see them again for about 10 years. That's when they lose the Messiah. We'll get to that. <laughs> so the, the angel says, you, you take her to be your wife. This is what you need to do. You know, and it says he responds. Now, does he go immediately? I'm assuming he goes to the house then of Elizabeth and Zechariah. And you can see the two guys kind of fellowship. And Zechariah can't talk, so he's got to write everything. Yeah, I'm glad you listened to the angel. I didn't listen to the angel. That's why I can't talk. You know, it's just you can imagine the two women highly favored. Uh, we, we hear the Magnificat and so forth in Luke, some of the remarkable things that take place there. And, and then from there back to Nazareth, where no doubt Joseph feels they'll settle, the carpenter shop is there, the baby will be born. But the scripture said, Bethlehem of Judea, out of thee shall come the one who is to rule over the nations. And Caesar makes the decree and the world begins to change. Mary and Joseph load up, they head down to Bethlehem. Uh, they're not staying with relatives. She's pregnant before their marriage, bad rep. Um, imagine how Joseph feels. It says, she brought forth, she wrapped in swaddling clothes, she did this. Uh, the, the language indicates the ends there, that she did all of that by herself. And lies him in a stone feeding trough. Joseph must be thinking, this is God's son, this is the most high. I couldn't get him in an OBGYN unit somewhere. I couldn't get him somewhere clean. Are you kidding me? And as all that takes place, then, of course, uh, what happens is the shepherds come. They say, we were in the field abiding, and the heavens open up. And all of heaven told us, you'll, you'll find this Savior, this one who is Christ the Lord. You'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Heaven told us where to find him. And Joseph must have taken that to heart. You know, this is where he should be. This isn't all wrong. It seems so out of place. 
And the shepherds come then, and they, they're amazed at the child. And it says Mary ponders all these things. She keeps them in her heart. Then, of course, uh, they have to bring Jesus back to dedicate him 40 days later. And it says there that they bring two turtle doves as a sacrifice. The law said if you couldn't afford lambs, if you were poor, you could use turtle doves. And it tells us that Joseph and Mary are scraping by. Scraping by. And sometimes I'm wondering, you know, the angel, when he, when he appears uh, to Joseph, he, he calls him thou son of David. I wonder how many times Joseph's thinking, I should be on the throne. Not Caesar, not Herod. Here I am scraping by. I have the royal blood in my veins. This is David's kingdom. I'm the one. Instead, I'm scraping by, trying to make a living. You know, am I under the curse here? What is going on? You know, trying to make ends meet. And, and I can only bring turtle doves for the sacrifice. And yet, even in that situation, then Jesus is taken up in the arms of Simeon and Anna. And they hear these remarkable prophecies about, again, who he is and what he will do. Then back to the carpenter shop. Ten years go by, we don't hear anything. We don't hear anything. Nothing's told us about this father, stepfather, mentor, who provides for him, who mentors him, who is called his father by neighbors and even by Mary. Didn't you know my father and I were, your father and I are looking for you? He's trained, he's educated. It tells us in Luke chapter 4 that he went up to the synagogue as was his custom. So this dad, this father, this Joseph made sure they were in church on a regular basis. Fathers, step up to the plate. It's your responsibility to make sure your kids are in church, they're in youth group. It's not their decision, it's your decision. He came up to the synagogue as was his custom, it tells us. And imagine, Joseph fed him, Joseph provided for him, taught him to walk, taught him to talk, taught him to say words, taught him to pray. What kind of an experience was that? All the while, in the back of Joseph's mind, he hears the voice of the angel. He remembers the vision, remembers the angel saying, go to Egypt, remembers the angel saying, come back from Egypt, remembers God warning him in a dream, saying, go on up to Nazareth. He remembers the voice of Simeon and Anna. He remembers what the shepherd said. All of this is cooking inside of him as he's mentoring this boy. Just think the sense of responsibility. I mean, you know, they tell him, no, don't play that. No, don't play. I know the other kids play that, but you can't fall down and get hurt. You know, I'll be in trouble. If you, do. you know, just, you know, how did he coddle him? How did he, you know, just think of the responsibility in that situation. But he loved Jesus. He watched him. He taught him. He fed him. He made sure he had clothing. This is a guy that we don't hear anything about except when Jesus comes to be baptized by John the Baptist, it says the Spirit descends upon him like a dove, and the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Greek is, this is my beloved Son in whom I am already well pleased. Never preached a sermon, never did a miracle, worked in the carpenter shop for 30 years. 
means every door jam he made was right, every plow he made was right, every yoke for oxen he made was right, he never ripped anybody off, he never did any shoddy work. He had character before God in the normal pathways that 99% of us will walk in, and the story won't be told till we stand in front of God. But God watched it all there, and God had fellowship with the second Adam there that he lost fellowship with in the Garden of Eden, in the carpenter shop, in the carpenter shop. Now, somewhere, you know, then they go up when Jesus is 12 to Jerusalem, to the Passover, and and they lose him there. It's not a good scene. They lose the Messiah uh, after protecting him all those years. You know, you can imagine on the way home, Mary, where is uh, Yeshua? Uh, what do you mean? Where is he? He was with you. No, he was with you. No, he was, you know, we've lost the Messiah. We're in deep trouble. You know, back to Jerusalem, and they find him, of course, 12 years old with the doctors of the law and so forth there. Uh, and, and then it says, she says, didn't you know your father and I? That's what Joseph is called by Mary. Your father and I. He's the adopted father of the Son of God. Just imagine this. And it says, Jesus went with them up to Nazareth. He was subject to them. That's the last we hear of Joseph. He passes off the scene. Joseph, no doubt, died before the public ministry of Jesus began. When they come to the wedding at Cana, Mary is the dominant figure there, and she's the one who who says of her son, do whatever he tells you. He says, woman, what do I have to do with you? It's before the time here, you know. So somewhere in that interim, probably between when Jesus is 15 and, you know, 30, somewhere in there, Joseph passes off the scene. You have to imagine this father who was loved by James and Simeon and Josie's and Jude and the girls attended at his deathbed by Mary, his beloved wife, and by their oldest son, Jesus. What was that like? What was it like to be on your deathbed and to have Jesus there with you, ministering to you at that time? If the Lord tarries, every believer in this room will find out because he will be with you when it is your time. And he will speak to your heart. But imagine the visual on this. Young Jesus speaking to Joseph, telling him about glory, telling him he doesn't have to be afraid, telling him we're all going to be gathered to Abraham's bosom. We're all going to be together forever. And Mary and Joseph takes his last breath. And the oldest son in the home turns to his younger brothers and his sisters puts his arm around his mom and consoles them, speaks the word of life to the word of life, speaking the word of life to him. What a, what a scene, what it must have been like. But somewhere between 10 and 20 years, this man provided for this one, the son of the highest. He provided for the one who would sit on the throne of David, the one of whose kingdom there would be no end, this one who would save his people from their sins, the son of God under the roof of Joseph, mentored and taught by him. Look, 
no doubt there are some lessons here for us as we look at these things. Look, the angel says, thou son of David, you know, and he asks Joseph when he says, thou shalt call his name Jesus. That injunction tells Joseph, you, I want you, Joseph, to pick the name. You call him Jesus. And by doing that, Joseph is officially adopting him as his own son. In Isaiah, it was written, Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name, thou art mine. That's the idea there. He says, Joseph, the angel says, Joseph, you call, you're going to call his name Jesus. You're going to name him. He's going to save his people from their sins. Fear not, thou son, you know, of David. The, the genealogy starts that in, in, in Matthew. The first verse says, Jesus is the son of David. He, he, the angel says to Joseph, you're the son of David. Earth may not recognize that. It may bother you. You're living in a corrupt system where you've got a corrupt government ruling over you, where you think the taxes are too high, where everybody's bossing you around, telling you what to do, but heaven knows who you are. Heaven knows who you fathers are because you also are sons of the Most High God. You have the very spirit of Christ in your heart, men and women crying, Abba, Father. Everyone in this room that's born again is royalty. And whatever injustices are going on in this world, heaven knows who we are and asks us to be just, to live out our lives the right way, not under the law, but in light of heaven. And he could have been bitter his whole life, thinking Herod shouldn't be on the throne. I should be on the throne in Judea. This is my lot. I'm the son of David. The angel even reaffirms that. But the angel says, you've been chosen to be the human father of the Messiah. Whatever earth does not recognize around you, heaven recognizes completely. And God in his sovereignty has chosen you and Mary for this task. How remarkable. How remarkable. Another thing I think as I look at this is, you know, so many times I think we feel like we blow it, we say something stupid, we make a mistake, and we think, that's it, I'm not perfect, I just can't do this. Imagine how Joseph felt. He wasn't perfect, his son was perfect. He wasn't perfect. We aren't perfect, and our kids think that they're perfect, and they're not either. You know, We're all adult children of sinning parents. You know, and, and you think, here's... Here's Joseph. I mean, I have to believe at some point he gets mad and throws a hammer. You, you know, you, you got at least seven kids in the house. Everything's not smooth all the time. You know, you, you lose the Messiah. That's because you got six other kids running around screaming. You're kind of keep track of them, you know. Uh, this, he wasn't perfect. We don't have to be perfect to do what God has asked us to do. No one in this room has to be perfect, fathers, to do what God wants you to do. You just need to step up to the plate. 
And we're allowed to confess our sins when we mess up. And he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And one of the greatest things we have to teach our kids is if we can go to them and say, forgive me. Not I'm sorry. That don't mean nothing. But if you say to your kids, forgive me, that means you're owning sin and you're asking them to forgive you. One of the greatest lessons any father can teach their kids is to look them straight in the eye and say, forgive me. I was wrong. Forgive me. I believe Joseph did that. But I think on a Father's Day, he would say to us, look, you know, you ain't perfect, and the kids you're raising, they ain't perfect either. But I wasn't perfect, and the kid I was raising, he was perfect. You know, just imagine the pressure he was under. The little Jesus was saying, Dad, it's okay. Someday soon, John's going to write, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And it hasn't been written yet, but, you know, it's okay, Dad. You know. I think also, as I look at this, how many dads are here today that have tried to lead their kids to Christ in the home, tried to be an example, and your kids haven't gotten saved. And you internalize the whole thing. It's your fault. You know, it's amazing. I look at this scene here. And Jesus has at least six younger siblings that we know of. None of them are saved. James comes with Mary to try to get Jesus to come home and says he's beside himself. He's lost his mind. He's telling people he's Lord Sabaoth. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's, go- he's going off the deep end. We've got to get him home. He's crazy. That's why James is going to tell us Watch your tongue. James is going to tell us, you know, somebody comes into your synagogue dressed like a carpenter. Somebody comes in dressed like a prince. Don't respect one over the other because you never know who you're dealing with. James didn't believe. And I and imagine having an older brother who's like a goody two sandals, you know, who never does anything wrong. I, I think they were kind of jealous and bugged, to tell you the truth. I think they would go outside and say, oh, I don't want to hear the angel stories, the shepherd stories again. I'm tired of all that. Cut me a break, will you? But it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7, that after Jesus rose from the dead, that he appeared unto James. And what was that like? What was that like? James had to say, I didn't know. I didn't know. And Jesus had to say, I know. I know. Did the Lord put his arms around James? See, he was completely human and completely divine. I believe they fell into each other's arms. James becomes a believer because he encounters the risen Christ. And by Acts chapter 1, when it says the apostles are gathered, it says so is Mary and the Lord's brethren. They're all there. They're all believers. Within that 40-day span from his resurrection to his ascension, the whole family had come to the faith. So this is what I want to say to you. Look, we bring Christ to men. Only God brings men to Christ. And if you've been trying to lead your kids to Christ, trying to lead your, and you can't convince them, 
think of Joseph. He was trying to lead his kids to Christ. And he said, come on, kid, you guys, the angels talked to me at least four times, you know. Yeah, the, the angels, Gabriel talked to your mother, you know, just, you know, the, the, the shepherds came and talked to us. And Simeon and Anna talked to us. I can't believe you guys came. And, you know, they must have gone outside and said, ah, I'm so tired of hearing, you know, just tired. And imagine what frustration they had. They're trying to lead their kids to Christ. And Christ is living in the home with them. And they can't lead their kids to Christ. It isn't until they encounter the resurrected Christ that their lives are changed. And if you're here today and you don't know him, your life will not change until you encounter the resurrected Christ. No Christmas story. No argument about Mary. No record is going to change your life. Only the risen Savior will change your life. And today, if you want, when the service is over, when we sing our last song, I'd encourage you to come forward if you don't know Christ. We'd love to give you a Bible, some literature to read. You can meet the risen Christ today. You know, I grew up, my dad was Catholic, my mom was Lutheran. I bounced around in church world Bored to death. Drugs were way more exciting than church. Until I met the risen Christ. And he changed my life and he set me free. And he stepped into my world where I lived, the music I listened to and the people I hung around with. And he stepped into that world. And he revealed himself to me. And he hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not religion. It's relationship. And if you don't know the risen Christ, he will reveal himself to you today. You just need to reveal yourself to him. Your job to say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need forgiveness. And then he comes and says, hi, I'm the Savior. I got the solution. The Bible says you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. We're royalty. We live in a frustrating world where people that are in control of things, we live half our life thinking they shouldn't be in control. You know, uh, we try to live with dignity and eke a living out of this world, uh, no doubt. Uh, we do our best at home. We're not perfect husbands. We're not perfect fathers. But God still entrusts that responsibility to us. We're to be the ones who bring Christ to the home, to the marriage. <clears throat> and sometimes there's a little response. Sometimes even our grown children they don't want to hear about it. They've heard about it their whole life. I don't hear the angel stories anymore. I don't hear the shepherd stories. I don't hear the Jesus stories anymore. They need to encounter the risen Christ. And we pray that happens in the home. You know, we pray that that day comes. And uh, we're the fathers of their flesh, the scripture says. But Hebrews tells us about the father of spirits. He gives birth to them eternally. So if I was you dads, I'd uh, 
Just take some time. Sit alone with Joseph. Take yourself on some of those pathways. Imagine what it was like raising a little Jesus in the house. Imagine what it was like having your wife talked about by the religious world that she was uh, pregnant before she was married, that she's immoral, that your oldest son is the illegitimate son of Mary. Imagine taking the heat your whole life, not being recognized. You know, you're royalty. I'm royalty. People cut me out in traffic, and I think if you knew I was the king's kid, you would not do that to me. (laughs) Right? You do your best to raise your kids in the fear of the Lord, but you're not perfect. You're not perfect. And sometimes you don't see the fruit that you're hoping to see. Neither did Joseph. And Jesus was in the house. He was in the house. Let's stand and let's pray together. And if you don't know Christ today, I'm I'm just challenging you as we sing this last song. Get out of your pew. Get out of your seat. Come on down and stand here right in front of everybody and say, I want to know the risen Christ. I'm, I'm a living sinner, and I need a living Savior. Um, I'm willing to repent. The idea is make a U-turn. Metanoia, change the mind. I've been empty. I've been playing games. I'm tired of it all. I don't want to think about suicide. I don't want to think about emptiness. I don't think about myself anymore. I'm willing to turn away from all of that and turn to this living God that you're talking about if he'll reveal himself to me today, and he will, and he will. So let's pray, let's worship, and if he's calling you today, you come. Father, I know you've overheard, Lord, and we think about these things. We we look into them, Lord, and wonderfully, Lord, you, you've given us minds that, Lord, are inquisitive. Lord, we can, we can think about homes. We can think about young Jesus growing up in a carpenter shop. Father, you've you've given us these capacities to see things, to sense the prodding of your spirit, to yield to the truth of your word. We're so thankful, Father, for you on this Father's Day. And Lord, we do pray for those here that have never come. They They don't know you. All they've got is religion or emptiness. No relationship. Father, you drew us. We trust that you will draw them. You you love them as much as you love us, Father whoever they are. So we lift our hearts to you now in song, Lord. Draw us, Lord, and we pray that you would draw those who have never come to the front today. Lord, you add to the church daily such as should be saved. We trust you. We pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Joe Foch. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Joe's teaching ministry by visiting ccphilly.org.